So this week is um, a fun week. This week, uh, my wife and I celebrate 18 years of marriage. So I've been married 18 years. Can you imagine putting up with me for that long? That's, that is wild. You know, um, throughout those 18 years, the whole time, I, like, it seems like a weekly occurrence. Somebody comes up to me and says, wow, you married up. And so I was thinking about that recently. And so I just always assumed that's what just people said to one another. So I'm like, hey, Amy, do people tell you all the time, whoa, you married up? She's like, I, no one's ever told me that. <laughs> it's true. Um, I, I, I married up. I know it. My wife is amazing. She is, uh, uh, she's a blessing. And I, I, I really even think of my wife. I get to live with her um, wherever you're at, baby. If I look at Scripture and I see what a wife and a woman should be, you pursue it. I'm thankful for you. I like to tell my wife I love her. I do. But there, there's kind of a, a way I, I really prefer to do that. I want to share that with you. In the morning, you know, when, when Amy wakes up, I don't know how you wake up, but Amy kind of wakes up like most people. You know, she's got that pillow imprint on the side of her face. You know, got the imprint. Depending on the night, there could even be drool, you know. And hair is all out of whack, no makeup. And so when, when, I, when I first see her, I'm a little distracted. So I don't, I don't say anything then. I wait. I let her, I let her wake up brush her teeth because there's morning breath and that's different too. Um, and those really just aren't the ways I like to see or experience my wife. So I don't, I don't tell her I love her then. I wait. I wait till she gets all her makeup on. She brushes her teeth real good and does her hair. And then, because, you know, that's the way I like to experience my wife, then I tell her I love her. I say, hey, baby, I love you. Some of y'all getting nervous. <laughs> My wife says, if you tell them that, you have to tell them that's not true. <laughs> it's not true. I do think that's how we worship the Lord so often, though. I think that's how we approach him in worship way too often. We like to put the makeup on him that we prefer. And we've seen it and we've heard it in so many different ways in the church. It's, there's examples of this all around us. Perhaps the, the easiest example, the one we're most accustomed to, the one we'll see the easiest in, in things like style and music. I can't tell you how many times over the years, in 20 years of ministry, I've heard people say of a church they were leaving or, a, or the church I was a part of, I just can't be part of that because I can't worship to that style of music. And I'll ask them, is there anything doctrinally wrong with what we sing? No. It's just a style. It's just not, it's not what I prefer. I said, so you can't worship God because of the style of music? Here's what they're saying. I'll worship God when he puts on the makeup I want. He's not worthy of me being in a position that would cause me to overcome my preference. And so I like it this way. That's true in so many aspects of our life, and it's just true because at the end of the day, it's a worship issue. And the same sin that led to Satan's fall is deep within us. We think there is a part of worship 
that is about us. It's about us. And the world is filled, listen church, the world is filled with people who love worshiping God. As long as he's got on the makeup, they prefer. You know, for some it's a blatant choice. It's a a simple rejection of who God is. But for many, it's, they're deceived. They're deceived. They're not outright rejecting God. They're not even thinking about it. They're just deceived. They have good motives, especially as it goes over into proclamation of worship. They think to themselves if they leave the building and they go out into their workplaces, into their communities, into their families and around the world, they'll say things like, I want to reach hurting people. Don't want to offend them. We'll say things like, we're going to plant a church, we're going to establish a church, we're going to grow a church, we're going to lead people to Jesus. All we need is the right makeup. If we can just present God in just the right way, if we can just overcome some of these things, if we can just have enough relational equity, if we can just get his makeup right, you say, what does this have to do with Making Disciples or the Great Commission. We're in our Church Defined series. We're at a point where we're realizing as a church that God has commissioned us to make disciples, to go make disciples. And what on earth does this conversation about worship have to do with making disciples? And for most of us, when we talk about the Great Commission, let's just be honest, this isn't a new conversation. You've heard this for a long time. You know at some point today we're going to read from Matthew 28, right? We've been in church a little while. We understand what we mean when we say the Great Commission. But even if you haven't, even if you've never heard any of this before, the fact of the matter is you're engaged in a discipleship conversation. Because disciples are who we are first. It's who we are. It's not just something we do. Being a disciple is who we are. To be human is to be a disciple. To be human is to be a disciple. See, we were created. We are not the creator. We are not the leader. We are the followers. We learn. We grow. We develop. We serve. And according to Scripture, we either serve and follow God or we serve and follow the deception of Satan we're disciples the question is of who but we are disciples and furthermore we don't live our life in isolation meaning we are constantly around and influencing others we are all disciples who make disciples every one of us We are all disciples who make disciples. We are all making disciples. But we all do not make disciples of Jesus. See, it impacts all of us. What am I saying? That discipleship isn't disconnected from who I am. It's not just something I tack on and go do over here. It's not a disconnected action. Disciple making is an overflow of who I am. This takes us back to John 15, so often as a church when we talk about abiding. See, disciple-making, the Great Commission is an overflow 
of who I am. It's not just the thing that I do. And because of that, hear me, the Great Commission to proclaim the gospel, to make disciples, is primarily an act of worship before it is anything else. We talked about this a few months ago. And if you weren't here that day and you missed that sermon, go back into our psalm series, May the 27th. We spent about 20 minutes and we just unpacked that idea that making disciples, proclaiming who God is, is first an act of worship. I challenge you, go back this week, listen to that. Listen to that. See, we sing praises not first for ourselves, but because he's worthy to be proclaimed. Likewise, we proclaim, we make known who God is in the gospel. Listen, not first to save souls. First, because he is worthy to be proclaimed. The greatest picture of that is the description of heaven, where for all of eternity, God's people will proclaim the goodness of God. They will proclaim who he is for all of eternity in heaven. They will not do this because they're trying to save heaven, right? So why will we proclaim his goodness? Why will we proclaim his holiness? Why will we proclaim his character for all of eternity? Because he is worthy to be proclaimed. And because as we proclaim who he is, we worship him. The same is true for us today. Listen, what's that mean? As we dive into the text this morning, that means if we have a problem, an issue as a church in proclaiming the gospel and making disciples, we have a worship problem first. Because we either view God worthy of being proclaimed in any setting, at any time, with complete trust in who he is. He is worthy to be proclaimed, or we view God, listen, in need of some makeup to have an impact on others. We're going to get God, we're going to cover him up a little bit. We're going to put some makeup on him, and then he will have an impact. Church, listen. God has not commissioned us to cover him up. That's not the great commission. We're not set apart to cover him up, to smooth his rough edges, or to make him more relevant or presentable. Catch this. Our very calling is the opposite. Our very calling is rather to take off the fake, flaky, nasty, sinful, built-up makeup that the world has covered him up with, that he may be seen in all his glory, revealed in his holiness and love, pure, because at the end of the day, the revelation of who God is, it's what will change a life, not the makeup we try to cover up. Our goal isn't to put makeup on him, it's to take it off of him. That people can see him. That he might be revealed and not disguised. He might be boldly proclaimed and not whispered covertly. Think of how many people try to share the gospel today in like this covert thing, like I'm going to sneak God in. That's crazy. Lives are changed when God is revealed, and it may be an unpopular truth in American Christianity, but listen, God isn't positioned to make disciples. 
God is proclaimed to make disciples. He's proclaimed. And for us, there is worship in that because every authentic Christian who has been reconciled to the Father through Jesus is a new creation with a new purpose. Proclaim reconciliation through Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll see Paul explain this. Beginning in verse 14, Paul writes, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, because of the work of Christ, because of who he is, because of who he is, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, causing the old to pass away. Now watch as he gives the new. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. In other words, go proclaim that Jesus is the only path to be made right with God. That's what reconciliation means. To be made right with God we have been made right with God through Christ and now we have all been given the ministry the mission to go proclaim that there is hope for our brokenness and there is only one hope his name is Jesus but through Jesus what is broken and separated from God can be restored that is our mission that's what we've been set apart to be Every one of us. And Tri-Cities Baptist Church is not exempt from the mission. It is our mission. And so there are implications for us. There are implications that are real. Why? Because our big truth this morning, disciples are commissioned to go make disciples. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always and to the end of the age. He is with us, empowering us for this mission that he has set us apart for. 
to make disciples of the world. It's what we're commissioned to do. Tri-Cities is not exempt. Our first big idea, our first implication that I want us to wrestle with as a church as we define who we are is Tri-Cities Baptist Church then is commissioned to go. We're commissioned to go. To make the love of God known. It's the reason we talk about make known in our setting. It's because it's the mission of who we are. We're going to spend a whole week next week talking about that. Pastor Mike's going to lead us through a service. And we're going to be challenged and encouraged by the opportunity we have to make an eternal difference in someone's life. We go. We go to our neighbors. We go to the nations. Hey, real quick, let me tell you about something that's coming up. Just uh, on Wednesday night, starting this Wednesday, we're starting something called Behind the Message. And it, it'll operate like, kind of like a study group. You can come in and out of whenever you need. But whoever's teaching, preaching that week will join Jeremy Bledsoe and some others in a panel format. And we're going to talk about some aspect of the sermon or something that kind of comes from it in a little bit more detail. This particular Wednesday, we're going to hear from some of Tri-Cities Baptist Church's people, some of our people who have been sent and who are serving cross-culturally to the nations. And we're just going to talk to them about what God is doing in their life. And you'll hear a little bit more about that at the end. But listen, we're called to go make disciples of the nations. We're called to sacrificially invest, to give, to go, to help send others, to help mobilize the gospel. Why? Because as a church, we are commissioned to go. It's an active challenge. It's not passive. Listen, what that means, when you go to work, you go to proclaim. That's your mission. I hate to break it to Eastman. If you're here and you're a believer, your primary mission when you go is to proclaim the gospel, not make chemicals. It's just true. It's why you have the waitress you have. It's why you live in the neighborhood you live in. It's why you have the friends and the family that you have. God has set you apart there that you would fulfill your mission as the church to proclaim, to worship who he is. It's why you're there. And listen, let me break it down another way. If you're sitting here and you're waiting, if you're the person and you're saying, you know what, I'm waiting for the right person. I am, you know, I'm waiting for the right time. I'm waiting until I build up enough relational equity let me just be real with what you're saying. I'm waiting till the makeup's right. Because you believe that's what's going to make the difference. Not the revelation of who God is, but all that other stuff. So I know in our culture we like sometimes to be somewhat mystical and we like those things. So let me give you a prophetic word from God. Word from God to you. God says Go. God's telling you to go, to go and proclaim. We're not commanded to wait. We are commanded to go. That's from God's word. It's right there for us. It is an active challenge. Second, Tri-Cities Baptist Church is commissioned to proclaim the gospel and call for repentance. The gospel proclamation is the mission. Repentance is a response. It's a response. See, if we're not actively doing that, whatever we're calling the Great Commission isn't the Great Commission as the Bible describes it. 
It's not. It's something else. It may be a really good thing. It may be a really amazing thing. It may even be a faithful thing, but it's not the Great Commission. I mean, consider even in our scriptures, going back to the Old Testament, the prophets would preach repentance, and God would tell them before, no one's going to repent, but you go preach anyway. The greatest revivals we know of, I mean, maybe in Nineveh, where Jonah doesn't even want to be there, and he walks in and says, God's going to destroy you because of your wickedness, and the whole city begins to repent. You want to talk about not having your makeup on very good. We see it in the New Testament as it's even prescribed and maybe most powerfully in the Great Commission passages themselves. We're so quick to want to try to define every nuance of what disciple making may be from Matthew chapter 28. But we have to see that in context of the other Gospels. The Great Commission is recorded in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And notice what Mark writes in chapter 16 uh, verse 15. And he said to them, Jesus Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Luke records it this way, 24, 47. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. See, Mark and Luke cannot contradict Matthew. So what's your point? I'm trying to define for us what it means to make disciples. It means to proclaim who God is. It is the beginning mark of making a disciple. Disciples are made by proclaiming the gospel, by removing the makeup and presenting who he is, who he truly is. Now listen, this is important. Gospel proclamation is always loving and bold. It's always both. It's always loving and bold. It can't just be bold and take it or leave it. That's not gospel. That's not faithful gospel proclamation. And it can't be some nuance of love that creates in me a passive culture that recognizes the world, my friends, my family, my neighbors, my coworkers, if they died in that moment, would go to hell and say, you know what, but I'm not going to talk to you about it today. The two must go together. Furthermore, word and deed are inseparable acts of gospel proclamation. Word and deed are inseparable acts of gospel proclamation. So what do you mean? Well, there's sometimes this false dichotomy we lead ourselves into that, you know, do we speak the truth or do we show the truth? And the answer is both. And faithful gospel proclamation is never void one of the other. In other words, they both must happen together. We must speak truth and show truth. And we can never just do one and acknowledge that as faithful proclamation. It doesn't work that way. They, they come together. Third, Tri-Cities Baptist Church is commissioned to sacrificially prioritize gospel proclamation. It's a priority for us. It's a priority. I'll give you a couple terms. There is... A term called vertical reconciliation, to be made right with God. That is our greatest need. It is what the church has been given the mission to prioritize. Proclamation of the gospel is what does this, to be right with God. There's another term called horizontal reconciliation. That just means we need to be made right with one another. 
that we're broken. We're broken and our sin impacts one another. Horizontal reconciliation, this idea of justice across um, you know, our friends, our peers, across one another, across the world, that is the gospel at work in the church. Both are important, but proclamation is the mission. Jesus himself acknowledged this, okay? And this is important for us because I think sometimes we can get distracted. We can get our priorities wrong. Listen to what Jesus himself said. Mark chapter 1, as he's beginning his ministry, Jesus said to them, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I have came out. Do you know not one time in the New Testament do we find Jesus go out on like a healing tour? Not one time. He doesn't go out on a, hey guys, let's go to a few towns and cast out some demons. Never does that. He does plenty of healing. He casts out many demons along the way. But that's never his mission. That's not why he went town to town. He went town to town to proclaim, to preach who he is and the hope of salvation that comes through him. Did he address the basic human needs as he went? He did because that's the work of the gospel in us. Because that's who he is. But horizontal reconciliation leaves us still in need of our most precious reconciliation, to be right with God. That was his mission, and that is our mission. And we must, too, prioritize it. Kevin DeYoung said it this way. He says, this means there might be a time when a church looks at a mission or a missionary or an organization it supports and says, I like the good work, but what about the proclamation of the gospel? See, as a church, what I want you to know about us as we talk about church defined, and I want you to know about Pastor Jeff and his team, is they have the, really a difficult job at times to prioritize our mission efforts by how they proclaim the gospel. It is not just enough that we put food in someone's mouth. It is not just enough that we meet some basic needs. Our mission is that we proclaim reconciliation through Jesus. And we will do all that other stuff along the way. But we cannot get them backwards. We cannot. And so to help us do that as a church, we hold up what we call five gospel pursuits. Just real practical ways. We do this together. I want to walk you through some of them, give you some examples, just so you can see how we pursue this. The first one is we serve the vulnerable. We understand that the only hope for true restoration is through reconciliation with Jesus. We get that. We understand that. We also recognize that we can show the love of God to those most vulnerable by supplying the most basic of human needs in ways that facilitate gospel proclamation. The Costleys are over here. I I want you to know they're an example for us. Our people who have relocated their family to Africa, who are serving there, they serve with a school. You'll hear more about them in a minute. They use this primary need of education to facilitate gospel proclamation. 
That's why we prioritize it. If it was just running a school, we wouldn't prioritize it. We do it because it facilitates gospel proclamation. We train leaders. We train leaders. Healthy churches require doctrinally sound, mature leaders, and we aim to serve the global church by multiplying churches through raising up leaders, training them, resourcing them all around the world. Why? So that the gospel can be advanced in languages we can't speak, through cultural dynamics we don't understand, and strategies that we could never pull off from here. So we train and we mobilize leaders. I'm with an organization called YMI. We've been doing this for years. YMI has trained 21,733 leaders, church leaders. And when I say train them, I don't mean just one seminar for an hour. I mean formal training, years, three years of training to come alongside of them. And we've equipped and rolled out multiplication through that. And since 2009, 330,176 young people have come to know Jesus through those leaders. We're part of that as a church because we train leaders. We send disciples. We send disciples. Churches are called to go, and we've got to be part of sending them. And so there are people like Mel who's going to Denver who we're coming alongside of and supporting and sending. A couple like the Schultz who are going to the Middle East. Just past Wednesday, we celebrated over 100 of our people that covered four different continents this summer. Why? To proclaim the gospel. We don't send them on vacation. We send them to proclaim. To proclaim. Fourth, we reach the unreached. The church is commissioned to proclaim the gospel to every nation, to every tongue, to every tribe, to every person, without discrimination, to advance the gospel far and wide across the world. Whole people groups, do you understand this? Whole people groups have never heard the name of Jesus before. Never. That is our mission. It is our mission. And so we go. We partner with organizations who have reached even beyond us, like the International Mission Board, that is constantly at work through partnerships to send missionaries and disciples, many of which, even in short-term and, and kind of middle-term experiences, our young people have been able to partner with and go. We have IMB missionaries in the Hobsons from our own church. Why? To advance the gospel, to proclaim the gospel to those who have never heard. Finally, we plant churches. Healthy churches plant churches. The gospel is advanced through faithful local churches. And so we sacrifice to plant churches. We planted a church in Portland, Oregon. By the way, the Carters are here today. I don't, I don't think they're in this service. I think they're in 11. You guys in here? They're not here, okay. If you see them, give them a big hug. Love on them, encourage them, it's hard. We, we've partnered with Remedy in Portland, Oregon with a church called Veritas, led by Greg Gibson in Washington, D.C. For, for all of you who use the family discipleship plan, I want you to know our rider and our partner in that, her name is Jennifer Thurman. Her and her husband are planning a church in Fort Collins, Colorado. And through the FDP, we even come alongside of them and support them as they plan a church called Overland. Mel's going to Denver, Colorado to work with Derek Sherfy as they plant the oaks. 
we are involved in partnering to plant churches. Why? For gospel proclamation. To make known who Jesus is. So what's your next steps? What does this mean for us individually today? First, understand that proclamation is worship. If you have a problem, if, if, if you're struggling with fear, if you're struggling with boldness, you can't figure out quite the words to say, if you're always waiting for the right time, diagnose yourself correctly. Understand you have a worship issue. Because making disciples is an overflow of who we are. And in so doing, begin to pray first for a burden over lostness. A burden for lost people. Let me just read to you from Scripture what Scripture says about the lost person who will die separated from God. Jesus says in Matthew 25, verse 46, they will go away to eternal punishment. Jude 1, 7, they will suffer the punishment of eternal fire. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of God. And from the glory of his might. Mark chapter 9, verse 47. They will be thrown into hell where the worm does not die. And the fire is not quenched. Matthew 13, 49. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and will separate the wicked from the righteous. And throw them into a blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus asked, have you understood these things? Church, have you understood? Spurgeon said, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap over to hell, over our bodies. If they will perish, let them perish with their arms around their knees. Let no one go unwarned or unprayed for. Begin to pray that God will give you a burden for your lost neighbor, for your lost co-worker, for your lost friend, for your lost family member, and the worship to proclaim boldly that there is hope in Jesus. Second, prioritize the proclamation of the gospel. Prioritize the proclamation of the gospel in your life. Third, purpose to go. Purpose yourself to go. Wake up in the morning and purpose yourself to go out on mission. Reach out to our go team and say, how do I help advance the gospel and proclaim the gospel to people who will never hear? Purpose yourself to go. Four, plan to give Invest your life and every resource you have to advance the gospel. You can learn more about how to do that practically at tcbchurch.org slash give to go. The purpose to give. What I'm going to do now is I'm just going to ask you to bow your head. And we're just going to close in a time of prayer. 
And if you're here and all this talk about reconciliation with God is something that you have never experienced, I want to challenge you right where you sit, maybe for the first time in your life you've never prayed before, I want to challenge you to just pray to a God who loves you enough to send his son to pay the penalty for your sin, that through faith in him, you might be made right. Say, how do I pray that? Just acknowledge that you're broken, separated from God, and that Jesus, his son, paid the penalty for your sins and is your Lord and Savior. And at the close of the service, right out these doors to the right, there's a little elevator, there's a prayer room. Stop by and say, hey, what he's talking about, I'm praying that. Can we talk? For the rest of us, I'm just going to challenge you to pray. That God would give you a heart of worship that would overflow into a burden for lost people that would lead you to purpose to proclaim. Would you pray? Father, forgive me for seeing you small, in need of makeup. Lord, forgive us. Do a work in us. Reveal yourself to us more. That in the overflow... you would capture us with boldness for the mission you have given us. May we not water down the proclamation of the gospel that changes lives. May we never water you down. But Lord, may we have the boldness to remove the makeup, to remove all that is fake, that you may be revealed in such a way that it would overpower the sinner, that they would see you in all of your holiness, in all of your love, in all of your glory, and they would realize that you and you alone are their hope. And broken before you, Lord, they would cry out and call you Savior through your Son, Jesus. Father, Don't let us be distracted by lesser things. Give us the prioritization to proclaim who you are. And the trust in who you are 
to change the lives of our family, our friends, the world. I pray all this in the name of our Savior, the name of your Son, the name who makes it all possible, the name of Jesus.